0: Good morning. If you don't mind, just before I start, why don't we just put our hands on our hearts? God, we want to hear from you this morning. Help us to be open-hearted to you. And if we feel like we've come in and we've got stuff going on that's meant our hearts feel closed to you, would you open them now, we ask. We want to hear from you. We want to know you better, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So it's my um, privilege this morning to be speaking on the subject of the mercy of God, which is a subject that I love to speak on. So I'm going to just dive right in. And I want to tell you about a friend of mine who six and a half years ago died in a road accident. So my friend Joe, she was 34 years old. She loved God, she worked for a church. And she was cycling to work one day when she was hit by a lorry. And the driver of the truck was arrested for causing death by dangerous driving. He admitted to what had happened, and he was found guilty. And he really had no excuses for what had happened. His lorry had rear view mirrors. Um, it had one of those cameras out the back, so as he was reversing, he, th- he didn't have a blind spot. He should have been able to see every area behind him. And other drivers saw what was happening and they were hooting their horns and yelling out their windows. But the driver of this truck was completely oblivious until it was too late. And he had reversed over my friend Joe, and she had died. And at court, he said that he was guilty. It was fairly obvious that he was. And the judge warned him that when you come back for sentencing, you are facing a custodial sentence. You are going to be going to prison for what you have done. But after he said this, my friend Joe's parents wrote to the judge and they said to the judge, we're Christians and we want you to show mercy To the man who killed our daughter. They knew that the driver going to prison wouldn't bring back Joe. They knew that there was no point really in that sense in him going to prison and in it wrecking his life as well as the devastation it had caused to their family. And because of the letter that Joe's parents wrote, the judge didn't send the driver to prison. He still lost his license There were still consequences for his actions, but he wasn't sent to prison. Because Joe's parents asked the judge to, he showed mercy. And local and national newspapers in this country covered um, what had happened here. And one of the headlines was, Death Driver Shown Mercy. And it made national headlines because it's so rare. This kind of mercy, this kind of forgiveness... This kind of compassion for someone who has robbed something so precious from you is so rare that it makes headlines. And one of the things I find particularly astonishing is that the judge said to the driver, Joe's parents have recognised how this has affected you. Isn't that astonishing? Joe's parents have recognised how this has affected you. In the middle of their grief, in the middle of their heartache and their heartbreak and their sorrow, they were thinking about the man who had killed their daughter. I find that incredible because if I'm honest, I'm not sure that I would have the same response. But actually, the reason they were able to do it is because they were so aware of the mercy of God on their own lives. They know Jesus so well. They know they've been shown such great mercy themselves. So they were able to ask the judge to show mercy to the man who had taken their only daughter from them. And the word mercy, it's not commonly used today. It's not a word we hear banded about in society very often, is it? I mean, when was the last time you heard a politician or a celebrity or a sports personality talk about mercy? I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's not a Christian a few weeks ago. And she said, well, mercy is a very Christian word. It doesn't really mean much to anyone else. And I thought, that's really sad, isn't it? Because imagine how different our society would look if the word mercy was more frequently on our lips, and more importantly, more frequently in our hearts. Imagine what politics would look like if mercy was at the forefront of it. Imagine what newspaper headlines would look like. I saw um, a headline the other day about the cricket scandal that's been going on. I can't believe I'm mentioning cricket. That was, was a foreign concept to me. But this um, headline about this this guy who was sorry for the cheating had taken place. The headline was "Captain Crybaby." It's not a merciful headline. Our headlines aren't generally merciful. Our celebrity culture isn't merciful. Think about what business would look like. What education would look like. What prisons and healthcare. And and even just our neighborhoods would look like. Think about what social media would look like if mercy was the defining characteristic of it all. But actually, we, that's the church, that's those of us here who follow Jesus. Actually, we are supposed to be defined and characterized by mercy. Mercy is supposed to be one of the things that sets us apart from everyone else on the planet. Mercy is when we get let off the hook for something. It's when a punishment that we deserve, actually a punishment that is just and right, is actually diverted away from us and taken by someone else. It's when we deserve to be judged for what we've done or what we failed to do, but instead we're met with compassion and forgiveness and love. Mercy is an outrageous thing, It's a radical thing. You know, the Bible says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. We can be so familiar with that that we lose the radicalness of that. God has not treated us. He has not treated me as my sins deserve. But mercy is more than that. It's not just getting away with something. It's not just not being treated as our sins deserve. It's actually about loving kindness in action. Mercy is an active thing. Mercy actively does good to people who have no right to expect kindness or forgiveness or love. You know, in Luke 6, Jesus talks about who God is kind to. He says, God is kind to... And if I was going to end that sentence, I might end it with God is kind to those who are quite good people. God is kind to those who are kind to others. God is kind to those who read their Bible and go to church and help old ladies across the road. That's not what it says. Jesus says, God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's who God is kind to. And it's astonishing. And it should surprise us. And if we've lost a sense of awe at this, that's something I pray that God would give us back this morning. Because actually God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And that is shocking and it's countercultural. It's the complete opposite to what we see in our society and in any society, actually. And one dictionary definition of mercy is the disposition to be compassionate the disposition to be compassionate. So what that means is the tendency or the natural inclination or the default setting of being compassionate. And this is exactly what God is like. The God that we've been singing to and worshipping this morning, this is exactly what he is like. It is his tendency, his natural inclination, his default setting is to be merciful and to be compassionate. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we have been given this same spirit. We have been given this new nature. Like Paul was saying earlier, when we walked away from the kingdom of darkness, when we were rescued and put into the kingdom of light, we became those who now get to have the merciful heart of God that goes beyond where society would go, that can show more mercy than we ever dreamed possible in our natural um, inclinations. To show real, radical, outrageous mercy to others, we need to grasp something of the, to the, of the extent of God's mercy towards us. That it's at the very heart of who he is. And that's why my friend's parents were able to show mercy to the man who killed their daughter. Because they know this amazing God who is defined by these characteristics And if you want to turn your Bibles, it's going to come up on the screen, but to Matthew 9, which is our passage this morning. We see this so clearly in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus was merciful in every single thing he said and did. There wasn't a single moment when Jesus wasn't merciful. He was merciful every minute of every day to everyone he encountered. He was characterized by mercy. He was defined by it. And one of the ways we see this most clearly is actually in who he associated with, who he spent time with. So in Matthew 9, verse 9 onwards, it's up on the screen behind me. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This story is actually really, really shocking. And it's difficult for us to kind of put ourselves sometimes in the mindset of what would have been going on at the time. So we can miss some of how shocking it truly was. Because tax collectors were despised by pretty much everyone around them. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector who was collecting money from the Jewish community to give to the Romans. He was taking money from his own people and giving it to those who were seen as the oppressive enemy. And the way it worked was that tax collectors, they had to collect a certain amount of money and give it to the Romans, but they were allowed to top it up so that they could earn more. They were basically on commission and whatever they earn over what had to be given to the Romans, they got to keep. Which meant that it was a profession rife with dishonesty. Because the more they put on top of the taxes, the wealthier they became. And so tax collectors were would often charge well over and above what they had to pay to the Romans so that they could earn more for themselves. This meant they were hated. By the Jewish community. They were thought of as thieves and traitors, stealing from their own people and not caring about the hardship that it was putting their own people into. And Matthew himself, he's writing about this account of his own call to follow Jesus. And he himself was a wealthy tax collector. We know he was wealthy because it tells us in Mark and in Luke's Gospels as well that his home was big enough that he could throw a banquet for many tax collectors and sinners to recline at a table to sit around eating with Jesus. That wouldn't have been standard unless you had a lot of money. So Matthew was a wealthy tax collector taking money from his own people who would have wanted nothing to do with him. And actually he would have been thought of as unclean not just because of the dishonesty of his profession, but because he was regularly handling coins that had been touched by those who were deemed to be unclean. So it would have been really, really shocking for Jesus to call Matthew. It would have offended people that Jesus called Matthew because it's one thing for Jesus to call fishermen. It's one thing for Jesus to surround himself with fishermen who were hardworking guys, these guys out in their boats laboring from early in the morning, the sort of people we might refer to as, you know, sort of the earth types. It's one thing for Jesus to surround himself with people like that, but it's quite another for Jesus to choose and to call the most despised people of the day and not only associate with them, but actually be friends with them. This was utterly offensive and shocking and what's even worse is not only did Jesus extend this mercy to Matthew, he then went and to eat in Matthew's home, hanging out with a bunch of people who were just like Matthew. Matthew was hated by his own people, so Matthew's friends would have been those who were also ostracised from society. Commentaries tell us that as well as the other tax collectors Matthew would have had round for dinner, that those that were called sinners would have been people like thieves and gamblers and pimps and prostitutes. This is not the sort of dinner party I imagine Jesus going to. You know, you ever done that thing where people say to you, if you could have three people round for dinner, dead or living, who would you have? Not many of us then go to, well, I'd have some tax collectors, some thieves, some gamblers, some pimps and some prostitutes. Not many of us might think, you know what, I'd ask a terrorist. I'd ask that person at work who always takes credit when I've done something well or that person at work who never pulls their weight. Not many of us would think of asking the people who have most hurt us. Not many of us would think to ask the people who are exploiting others for their own gain. The mercy of Jesus to Matthew wasn't just come and follow me. It wasn't just come, follow, you can walk a few paces behind me in earshot so you can hear as I'm teaching you, and then you might pick up a few things, you might change a little bit, and then you can get a bit closer to me. It wasn't an arm's length call. It wasn't a formal arrangement. Jesus was saying to Matthew, come and follow me, and we're going to be friends, and I'm going to hang out with your friends. I'm not going to hold their past against them. I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to actually serve you. Ultimately, I'm going to wash your feet, Matthew. Matthew, and I'm going to die for you. Jesus wasn't saying to Matthew, just come follow me in some sort of formal um, arm's length arrangement. It was Jesus being at the heart of Matthew's life and Matthew being at the heart of Jesus' life too. It's outrageous mercy shown to a guy that no one else would have picked. And actually that is the heart of of the gospel. That is the heart of the good news. It's the reason we come and worship. Because for those of us who follow Jesus, this is what he has done for us too. The Bible says not many of us were wise, not many of us were powerful, not many of us were noble when God called us. We might not look, have looked like the prime candidates. I am well aware that when God chose me, I did not look like a good candidate for being chosen. By the creator of the universe. And you know it's really easy for us to kind of judge the Pharisees here. We can think that the reaction of the Pharisees in this story is outrageous. When actually it's a lot more outrageous what Jesus did. The response of the Pharisees actually was kind of pretty much in keeping with what those around them would have expected. And and what was right. Actually it's interesting that the Pharisees don't even go to Jesus. They go to his disciples and say why does Jesus do this? And we can read it with a certain tone of voice. We can read it as if, you know, the Pharisees are going, why does your teacher do this? Actually, it's a pretty reasonable question. They might have just been, if we give them the benefit of the doubt, going, why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because what Jesus did wasn't ordinary. It wasn't what everyone else was doing. It wasn't what would have been expected of him. And so the Pharisees, it would have been baffling and offensive to them that Jesus did this. One commentator says this, that for Jesus and his disciples to eat with such people was scandalous. It meant they were accepting these tax collectors and identifying with them and sinners. Yet this characterized Jesus' ministry. The criticism was natural As they were rendering themselves unclean and violators of the Torah by their association with such people. For Jesus and his disciples to have eaten with tax collectors and sinners would have left them unclean. They would have been breaking a whole load of rules that the Pharisees had been religiously keeping. And so it would have been um, a natural criticism for the Pharisees to go, do you know what you're doing? Like, what are you doing? This isn't right. And some of us, you know, I think as I've been reading this story, I've been provoked that I find it really easy to love the Jesus who sits down with certain people. I actually find it, you know, quite easy to love the Jesus who would sit down and eat with the homeless. I love the Jesus who would sit down and eat with the poor and the broken hearted. I basically, I love the Jesus who would sit down and eat with me. I'm not sure I'm so keen on the Jesus who wants to go for dinner at the homes of those who are cutting funding for homeless services. I'm not sure I'm as keen on going to, the Jesus who would go and sit with those who make a fortune in the city and then have tax havens abroad so that they don't have to pay their taxes here. I'm not sure I'm so keen on the, the Jesus who would sit down and eat with those who are exploiting people for their own gain. I think if I'd walked past and seen who Jesus was eating with, seen that he was eating with tax collectors, those taking money from their own people to get rich, if I'd walked past and looked in through the window, I think I'd have gone like, what's Jesus doing? Jesus, don't you know what those people are like? And I think if we're really honest, all of us probably have certain groups of people or certain types of people or maybe specific individuals who we would be offended by Jesus choosing to eat with. For some of us, it might be family members, people in our own family. Maybe it's people sitting here today who have hurt us. And there's a sense of offense when we think about Jesus's mercy and compassion towards them. I think You know, there's all sorts of people around us in our own personal lives or even people we see on the news or people we read about or people we see on TV or people we just hear others talk about. Or we see on social media that if we're really honest, if we were to see Jesus eating with them, it might offend us. We might not like it. We might feel confused by it. And a couple of years ago, I was reading this um, passage in the Old Testament, really famous verses in Micah 6, verse 8, that say this. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And a few years ago when I was reading this passage, for the first time two words really um, jumped out at me in a new way, which was the words love mercy. What does the Lord require of his people? He requires us to love mercy. Why does God need to tell his own people to love mercy? Isn't it strange? Because Those of you here who know Jesus today, I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands, if you love mercy, we'd all put our hands up and say, we love the mercy of God that's been shown to us. Above all others, we we don't need to be told to love mercy because we're so grateful for the mercy that we've been shown. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the mercy that God has shown me. I love the fact that the Bible says, it says in Ephesians, God is rich in mercy He's rich in it. And in Lamentations, we're told God's mercies never end, but they are new every morning. When I read verses like that and apply them to myself, they thrill my heart. And I'm sure that's true for so many of you here as well. As people are aware of our sin and our need for a saviour, we're pretty happy, aren't we, most of us, that God is merciful. But here's the thing, that God's requirement of us to love mercy isn't just about loving the mercy that God has shown to us. When God tells us to love mercy and when Jesus tells the Pharisees in this story to go and learn what it means that God desires mercy, maybe it's because God knows that we can have a tendency to love the mercy that we have been shown while sometimes feeling a little bit irritated by the mercy of God that is shown to other people. The Bible is littered with people who know God or those who are supposed to know God who don't actually love mercy when it's shown to other people. Jonah is a classic example. Many of you will know the story of Jonah. You know, God says to Jonah, go and tell the people of Nineveh um, that they need to repent. And Jonah runs away in the opposite direction. He's like, no, I don't want to go and do that. I'm going to run away. I'm going to do my own thing. And he's on a boat and a storm comes and all the people on the boat are terrified. And Jonah realizes it's his fault that this storm has come. So he says, throw me overboard and you'll be okay. And that's what happens. And God in his mercy sends this big fish to swallow Jonah to keep him alive for three days. And then Jonah cries out to God from this fish. And God has mercy on Jonah. The fish basically throws him up. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and does what he was told to do all along. And Jonah brings this message to Nineveh that says, God is going to strike you down. You need to repent. And the people of Nineveh repent. The people of Nineveh go basically, okay, what do we need to do? We'll do whatever it takes. We want to come to God. We want God to show mercy on us. And God shows mercy and saves this city. And Jonah's response, and um, it's believed that Jonah wrote this himself, it says Jonah was exceedingly displeased and angry. Basically, Jonah, who has just been shown this incredible mercy from God, where he's been rescued in extraordinary ways, saved in extraordinary ways, He knows the mercy of God in his own life and then God shows mercy to thousands of people and Jonah's response is to be angry and he says to God, this is why I didn't want to come here because I knew you would do this. I knew you were merciful so I didn't want to come. It's astonishing, isn't it, that that's Jonah's attitude. But we see it, again, we see it in the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament where and um, Jesus tells this story about this son who squanders his dad's wealth on prostitutes and wild living. And then he comes back. And when he comes back, his dad throws this huge party for him and celebrates that he's returned. But the older brother in the story, he has the same response as Jonah. He's angry with his father for showing mercy to his brother he doesn't understand it. He's confused by it. And actually, even the disciples, you know, two of the disciples, James and John, were given the nickname Sons of Thunder. They were given that nickname by Jesus. And I like to wonder if that nickname is going to endure for all eternity. Probably it gets wiped out at some point, I guess. I don't know. But they were called Sons of Thunder because, you know, of things they were characterized by, well, not by mercy, shall we say, they were the ones who, when Jesus went to a village and the village wasn't interested, they said, shall we call down fire from heaven? Shall we wipe out this village? Shall we get God to just burn it up? And Jesus is like, no. How long have you been hanging out with me? You know, like they, This is what they think. This is the response. Even the disciples who were with Jesus day in, day out, missed the mercy of God for other people around them. And so, actually, the Pharisees being outraged that Jesus befriended tax collectors and sinners, it's not that unusual a reaction for them to have had. Because it's possible to have all the external signs of religion. And it's possible to even be following after God and keeping rules and regulations, but to actually miss the heart of God. We can miss it. The Pharisees were great at keeping rules. But they'd miss that God is more concerned about what is happening on the inside than he is what's happening on the outside. And it's really easy for us to fall into a trap like the Pharisees of thinking that we're okay because we do all the right things. We don't murder. We don't steal. We don't lie. Well, not big lies anyway. Maybe little lies that we're, we're all right with. You know, maybe we give to charity and we're respectful to people who respect us. We don't kick puppies, hopefully. Most of us here, those who know Jesus, we say our prayers. We read the Bible. We worship Jesus. We go to church. But we mustn't miss that Jesus said he came not for the righteous, but for sinners. We mustn't start feeling that we are right. Well, obviously, we are righteous in the sense that Jesus has made us righteous. But it's been credited to our account because of what he did not because we've learnt to follow rules, not because we've learnt to make our outward behavior look a bit better, not because we've learnt to do some certain things, it's because Jesus has credited it to our account. And when Jesus says that he came not for the righteous but for sinners, he's not saying some people don't need me. He's not saying that there are some righteous people and they're all right on their own. Rather, this is an indication that Jesus can only really save those who know they need a saviour. If you don't know you need a saviour, in one sense, Jesus has nothing to offer you. Because what he offers is a saviour for sinners. He offers salvation. And you know, the Pharisees, they expected the Messiah to come and crush sinners and congratulate the righteous. But instead, Jesus came to accept and transform the sinner, those who knew their desperate need of him. So when Jesus tells the Pharisees to go and learn what it means when God says he desires mercy and not sacrifice, it's because they've missed the merciful heart of God that longs to restore people to who they were created to be. Followers of Jesus are called to be merciful. In Luke six thirty-six, Jesus says this, Be merciful just as your father is merciful. You know, we can so easily look at someone's behavior and judge them on that basis, whether they deserve mercy or not. But God's starting place is never the person's behavior. It's just who he is. God's compassion and mercy is based on who he is, not on the object of his kindness. And so the Pharisees found the mercy of Jesus baffling and offensive because they looked at who he spent time with and they judged them of undeserving of compassion and kindness rather than looking at who God is and seeing his heart, they had missed the fact that God delights to show mercy. It says that in Micah 7 verse 18, he delights to show mercy. And you know, it's possible for us to perform all of our religious duties and still not love the people that God has put around us. And it's a dangerous place to be in because those who love God and follow him are called to be those who are characterized by mercy and defined by it. You know, I find it really interesting that in the Old Testament, when Moses said to God, show me your glory. It's interesting. I think, what would I do if someone said to me, show me your glory? Now, show me your glory. If I've got some, I think I'd probably go straight to, let me tell you my achievements let me tell you my qualifications. Maybe let me tell you this good deed I did the other day or this really wise moment I had. But it's interesting that when God says to Moses, show me your glory, God doesn't reveal himself um, primarily as one of awesome might and power, though that's true. He could have, you know, they were, they were up a mountain. God could have just dropped another mountain right beside them and said, there you go. There's my glory. He could have raised the sea level up and said, There you go. He could have made angels come from the clouds in an instant. He could have just clicked his fingers and done any of these things. But actually, God's primary way of identifying himself to Moses when Moses says, Show me your glory, is he says, I'm a God merciful and gracious. He reveals himself as the merciful God first and foremost. So those of us who follow Jesus, we're called to love mercy for two reasons. One is, as Jesus said, be merciful because your father is merciful. And the second is because we have been shown tremendous mercy ourselves. Jesus has taken all of our sin and he has nailed it to the cross. Like with Matthew, his call to us isn't just come and follow at arm's length. It's getting involved in the details of our lives and ultimately laying down his life for us. Despite all of our sin, if we start to think about every unkind thought we've ever had, not just the unkind things we've said, but the unkind thoughts we've had. Lustful thoughts towards people who don't belong to us. Greed, envy, pride, jealousy, anger, bitterness rivalry. Even if we just think about the thoughts we've had that fall into these categories, actually we see this tremendous mercy of God that even while we were still his enemies, Jesus came to die for us. John Piper says this, he says, mercy is no trifle. It is one of the weightiest matters of life. And we are called to be a merciful people. It's a heart issue. It's about being so grateful for the mercy of God that he's shown to us that we actively show mercy to those around us, even those we don't think deserve it. In fact, especially to those we don't think deserve it. See, the Pharisees were more concerned with pointing out people's faults than with helping them to deal with their faults. They had no interest in seeing sinners redeemed. They knew the diagnosis. They could diagnose you as a sinner, but they couldn't bring you any cure. But you know what? Jesus rushes in when others run away. He comes in knowing the diagnosis full well. He's not blind to it. He's not oblivious to it. But he comes with the cure too. And in Luke's gospel, we find that Matthew's response when Jesus called him was to leave everything To follow him and then to throw this great feast for everyone who was like him. Come and meet this Jesus who's shown me such mercy. And one of the provocations and challenges I felt from this passage is who am I eating with? Because for Jesus to go into the home and eat with people, it was a sign of intimacy, it was a sign of relationship and friendship. And actually, we can have a real heart for the poor, we can have a heart for the rich. We can have a heart for the broken. We can have a heart for the the homeless, those that society might despise. But it's a totally different thing actually to say, I will sit down and have a meal with you. Come into my home and I will eat with you. And Jesus doesn't just set as an example. It's something he tells us to do. In Luke 14, Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Mercy is active and those who follow Jesus, we are called to be the mercy bringers. We're called to be the compassion carriers, especially when mercy and compassion have run out elsewhere. Our mercy towards people, even people who have really hurt us, even people who've caused us tremendous pain, it's not to be based on their behavior. It's not to be based on how they've treated us. It's to be based on how Jesus has treated us. That is what calls us to be merciful. And we were created to be merciful just as our Father is merciful. We were made to reflect the mercy of God to those around us. And there might be some of you here today and you think, I feel a bit like Matthew. I feel like I haven't got that many friends. I feel like I'm not liked. I feel like I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. The great news for you, the wonderful news of this story is that it shows that no one is beyond the mercy of God. No one is so far away that the mercy of God can't call out to them and say, come, be my friend. And for others of us here, it might be that actually we know in our hearts we can be more like the Pharisees from time to time. Maybe we can think of specific people or groups of people that we know that we're just not merciful towards. And maybe you think, actually, I want to be more active in showing the mercy of God to others today. So if you want to know the mercy of God in your own life, or you want to be more active in showing the mercy of God to others around you, can I ask you just to stand, please? I'm just going to pray for us. God, we're so grateful for the amazing mercy that you have shown to us. We are so grateful that you have not treated us as our sins deserved, that you've called us not just to follow you at a distance, but to be intimately acquainted with you, to be your friends, to be ones you would lay down your life to serve. And God, we want to know your mercy afresh for us this morning. But we also want to step up and be more active in the mercy that we show to other people. Would you help us? Would you give us your heart of mercy? Would you align our hearts with yours? God, give us opportunities even this week to be active in showing mercy to those we have not traditionally shown mercy to. Give us opportunities this week to come across people, put people in our paths that we might show your incredible mercy, Jesus. And that people might see you through us as we do that. And come to know the mercy of our beautiful Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sam.